Retirement in this country is broken. We work ourselves to death and miss out on so many of life's experiences along the way. There's got to be a better way. David Adams is a certified financial planner and CPA and founder of David Adams Wealth Group, an independent firm that offers securities through Raymond James Financial Services and is here to help you learn how to retire while you work and develop a different way of thinking when it comes to managing your money. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, David Adams, and this is Retire While You Work. And you can hear us every Sunday on News Radio 1510 WLAC. Thanks for tuning in. You can also go to retirewhileyouwork.com and submit your question. We'd love to hear from you or give us a call at our office at 615-435-3644. have a couple special guests today in studio. We have Siobhan Farler again, who's a wealth management advisor in our office. Hello, Siobhan. Hello, David. It's great to be back. Glad you're here. And a special guest, Ms. Jessica Davis, who is a local designer here in Nashville. Jessica. Hi, David. Thank you so much for having me here today. Absolutely. Glad to have you. And in our last segment, Jessica's going to discuss how living in your working space can really affect your mindset, how to save money in the process of building, and so much more. All things that really coincide well with what we talk about here in Retire While You Work. And I'm also going to touch uh, touch a little bit on why I started the show in the first place and what it truly means to have that Retire While You Work mindset. And then I want to move on to a quick discussion of happiness and money and some interesting statistics that I found through some research, and also a quick little market update with everything going on in the economy. But first, let's play a little financial trivia. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. I'm excited. You didn't expect this. No, I didn't. And if you just tune in, you're listening to Retire While You Work, and we're about to do a little money trivia. All right, so let's do this. Jimmy, Jimmy's our producer here. Jimmy, you're welcome to answer, too, if you'd like Okay, cool. Okay, first question is, how much does it cost our government to manufacture a penny? Is it A, half a cent, B, nothing, it's free, C, 2.4 cents, or D, one cent to make a penny? I think I know. I think, it, I think Jessica it's the two, confidence. I think it's the 2.4 cents. And why is that, Jessica? Because I think I have heard at some point in my life that the penny is a really silly thing for us to have. And I <laughs> think that might be why. Because it costs money to have it. Yeah, I've heard that too. Yeah. Please so, tell me I'm right. Please tell me I'm right. Well, anybody else want to pipe in? Uh, you know, I didn't recognize any of those, but I, from what I recall, I believe it does cost more to make than it's worth. Siobhan? I'm, I'm going with something that was more than, whatever the answer was, that was more than a penny. Um, there wasn't anything that was more than a penny, so 2.4 is the highest amount. So I guess that's what you're oh, alluding to. Yeah. So all of you are right. Jessica, it's C. 2.4 cents, which Yay. is interesting. No wonder our country is going, going broke, right? Exactly. And you know why pennies don't make Isn't sense? That so weird. Why is that, Jimmy? <laughs> because taxes don't make sense, and that's the reason why pennies were started. Is, is oh. that so? Yeah. Think about it. I mean, how often do you actually need a penny? Well, it's true. That's why you have the, what is it, take a penny, leave a penny at yeah, the gas Yeah, because everything you buy is, is usually, you know, right near the dollar, and then and but that's just that fraction of a, of a you know, a dollar and those pennies add up, and that's the reason why they do them. I mean, me, I think that we should go with the nickel and be the smallest amount. That probably Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, R- totally. round everything to the five. Yeah. Hmm. I also think we should have a buzzer. I, I just want you to know. <laughs> a buzzer, buzzer for the trivia? Well, that sounds like let's fun. Let's just improvise. I'd like just to say, buzz in. Just, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll note that. Um, we'll note that for David, are time. you giving away a car or something? Because I don't remember <laughs> prizes <laughs> being offered. Apparently so. Here's my keys. Okay. <laughs> All right, next question. How many folds does it take for a dollar bill to tear from use 
Okay. Ooh. A is is it ten? B is it a hundred? C is it two thousand? Or D is it eight thousand? Who? who I, I, I'm, Jessica, I'm gonna buzz, say buzz eight, in, please. Buzz, buzz. Okay. Eight thousand. And why is that? Because just, I think it would just take a lot for it to tear on its own. I mean, <laughs> did you study before you came? Because <laughs> that is correct. Yeah. No idea who took the time to figure this one out. So basically, yeah, when a bill is too worn, and I found this out through researching this a little bit, I had a really exciting day that day. Um, <laughs> it's, it starts to show excessive signs of use. It's generally the Fed is going to remove it from circulation and replace it with a new CRISPR version. But the life of a bill depends on its denomination. So a $1 bill lasts usually about 5.9 years, and a $100 bill can expect to survive in circulation for about 15 years. Wow. You go, Benji. That makes sense. <laughs> go, Benji. <laughs> right. Go, Benji. There you go. Interesting. You learning a lot, Jessica? Did you know I this? am. I don't know what I would have done without this knowledge, actually. All right. Well, let's keep this knowledge train going, okay? What percentage of the world's currency is actual physical money these days? So bear with me. Is it 1%, which is A, B, 8%, C, 45%, or D, 75%? <laughs> Whoa, Buzz, Jimmy. 45%. 45%. Okay, anybody else? What was the one that was less than 45? There was a 1, an 8, a 45, and a 75. I'm going to go with 8. I'm going to go with 8, too. Jimmy, sorry. It's 8%. Wow. Oh, yes. So let's think yeah. about that. That's right. So go. it's a very, very digital world that we live in. Only 8% of all the money around the world is actual physical cash, which means the rest is digital money. That exist only on computers. So mm, hope they don't crash. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So think about how often we buy or sell things online or transfer money from one account to the other with just a simple phone call or phones, whatever, and the money goes from one place to another, but we actually never see or touch it. So 8%. I thought that was interesting. Good job, wow. everybody. Jessica got them all right. Jessica got. I, no, I she can't got, wait to see my prize. Actually, I'm really excited. we're still working on that. They even put it on the table. It's car keys. Nice. They're not to his car, but they're car keys. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, good deal. Um, and we'll do that. Uh, we'll come up with some uh, more interesting facts. That was fun. Week. That was fun. Good. All right. Well, so back to let's talk about the why of the show for a minute. So I've been a financial advisor for 15 years and. Our industry really trains advisors to have clients, speaking of pennies, save every penny and follow some projections without really any regard to holistic living and balance. But what about experiences? And we talked about that on a show a few weeks ago, you know, traveling with family, going to ball games, playing with the kids. You know, th this is a very flawed system. And it's, in my opinion, an antiquated way of thinking about money and retirement, working ourselves to death to 65 and then retiring and then finally, at that point, we can unwind, travel, and be with family. Come on. I've witnessed hundreds of people follow this path, and many times it's not what they plan. They end up bored to tears. They lose their identity because it was all tied in their jobs and their careers, and they find themselves empty and with no purpose. And so a lot of times they're not close with family because everyone's grown up and been distant and estranged because they've spent so much time working together and I had my dad on here just a few weeks ago sharing his struggle and his journey through the same, the same circumstance. And we shared some tears and hugs, and it was very uh, inspirational. And when we come back, I want to continue on this note, also do a market update, and go over an interesting study about money and happiness that I heard recently. You're listening to Retire While You Work. I'm your host, David Adams, on News Radio 1510 WLAC. Back in a few.
Hello, and welcome back to Retire While You Work. I'm your host, David Adams, on News Radio 1510 WLAC. And just before the break, we did a little fun money trivia and started talking about the idea and the concept of Retire While You Work and what it means to this show and also to what we're trying to accomplish here with the broken system of retirement. And I had my dad on here just a few weeks ago, and he was in tears on here, really sharing his path and how he almost, due to health, didn't get to enjoy his retirement time and traveling with the family. And he encouraged me, um, not just a couple of weeks ago, but also growing up, that the way you show your love to others in life is time and not money. So really make an effort to spend some time on experiences for yourself and with loved ones, because as we know, we're not guaranteed another day. And after all, that's the whole purpose of this show. And it's why those words, retire while you work, are so important to me. And I've by no means mastered this. It's something I'm learning along the way, actually, as I do this show and listen to our guest and others share their stories on the show. So I really hope together that we all start this movement that's in this direction to let the old ideal of retirement fade away and realize that we're all living longer and we have resources available to us to stay healthy if we choose and work longer and really find passion in your job and in your personal personal life. And this can fuel you and keep you motivated and really lessen the need to have millions of dollars in retirement, which is used most of the time what our industry promotes and really preaches. So if you uh, listen weekly, you've heard me explain the drastic differences that we've seen in our offices with clients, with the, the $200,000 client we talked about that has $200,000, happy as a clam in retirement, and then somebody that we met with that had $30 million that truly felt like they needed to have $40 million to retire. That was so sad. It that was. He, that he needed, thought he needed another $10 million to be happy. And, you know, Siobhan, if it was $40 million, it probably wouldn't have been $50 million. That's Absolutely. the way our society often thinks. And it is sad. We can always have more money, but not more time and experiences after all the true legacy that we leave behind. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Retire While You Work, and we're talking about retiring while you work and while we talk about this each week. Now, what I want to do here for a second is do a quick market update because there's a lot going on in Washington. Um, let's talk about, uh, well, mainly around healthcare and tax reform. So the question I got on the last couple of shows is, do I see a, a correction in the market coming soon? And I would say that's that's very likely, and that's okay. And what I mean by that is we really have to wait and see if Trump is going to be able to reach across the aisle. He's going to have to. And can they get tax reform done first now that health care um, was stonewalled? Now, we know that health care has been having issues and the market is getting a little jittery, but maybe Trump's going to be able to get tax reform done first and the market's going to run up. And then maybe he goes for a more bipartisan health bill passed next year. Who knows? And this is why, and why we talk about almost every week, why the three buckets and having your buckets in your financial plan and really having cash on the sidelines is so important. So really stay tuned over the coming weeks as Trump tries to regroup on his plans, all while having to deal with the Russia distraction and on and on and now North Korea. These are certainly interesting political times. Now, well, before I move on, I can't help but say this. I really can always, when I start talking politics, I tend to get a little wordy. But the biggest problem I see in the system now really isn't Republican or Democrat. It's all of them in regards to the fact that they're constantly campaigning and posturing themselves for the next election. No one seems to be worried about the country and the big issues that we need to address, like Social Security. Nobody's talking about that again. There's so many small things we could do to address that one issue. And instead, they're, they're focusing their time worrying about how their vote's going to look what their voters are going to think on the next election, who's going to scratch their backs. This is the big problem in Washington. 
And until this is solved, we're going to keep kicking the can down the road. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox. But So frustrating. Very frustrating. But that's, that's where we're at, and we will see over the coming weeks uh, what happens as Republicans attempt to regroup on health care and tax reform. Now, I did want to go back to something that we were talking about earlier, and that is, you know, part of Retire While You Work, the concept behind the show is finding ways to help you get into that healthier mindset period, regardless of what that looks like, but also specifically regarding your money. We have so many unhealthy attachments to money as a society, and so many people spend their lives thinking, you know, if if I had a million dollars, then I would be happy, or if I made $100,000, I'd be happy. But then those that have a million dollars, they start thinking, they need a million and a half dollars to be comfortable. Or, well, once I get to 200000 of income, then I'll have more money to save, not 100000 a year. So They're always I, chasing that number. Always, and it, and, it, and it never ends. And Jessica, I know that uh, we were talking about this over lunch recently, just about how um, people always think they need more. And there's that, what, there's that Pearl Jam song. What is it? Um, which Pearl Jam Eddie song? Vedder song. Oh, the uh, Eddie Society. Vedder song. Society. And, yeah. he, and he talks about that. And I love the lyrics, but it's but it's true. And uh, quite frankly, I, I think it's just human nature. Um, it's never enough. And I think we really have to uh, think about that, you know, as we're as we're living our lives. And, and really, you know, we can't just get stuck in, in, in that mindset that so many of us do. Right, because there's no end to it. There's always somebody that has something more or more money. Um, Trying to keep up with the Joneses. Oh, yeah. There's always, yeah. In comparison, they say it's a thief of all joy, and it's true. Well, there's many articles, um, and I'm going to use some today. I read one recently from the Huffington Post, but I also got to spend some really, really uh, special time with the Stanford professor at a Raymond James conference and, and found this fascinating. So, guess how much money the happiest people make? Now, before you answer, this is for a family of four, and this is, they took, you know, surveys of thousands of people. And really tried to look at where people's stress points were as they made more money. Did they get happier? Did they become less happy? And there were a lot of uh, not just it wasn't a survey. There were a lot of um, psychologists that spent a lot of time on this. And the Stanford professor would pull together all the results. So guess what it is? What do you think the range is? I think it's probably um, between 120 and and 120 to 150,000 a year. That's okay. what I would guess. And I would say between two hundred and three hundred. All right, Jimmy. I'm going to say lower than one twenty. Okay, one dollar if I was on the prices, right? <laughs> one dollar. Yeah, people Price that make one dollar right. a year are very happy. <laughs> but you, you don't win. What is that your guess? Well, the one dollar was you know you have to get, get oh, it without yeah, right. going over because they went I over, think they're right. all over. Yeah. Well, this is not the prices, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, the answer is actually. 75 to 150,000. Now there's been different studies but they all come between 60 to 90,000 and upwards of 180. And that's very interesting. So the thought of that is below that number, so those if they have a family of four and if the family's bringing in less than 60, 70,000, you know, they're stressed, maybe they're in debt, they're not able to keep up with the bills and they feel like they're going backwards. And then on the kind of the counter side of that, if they're making, you know, once you get to 150,000 at that point, they're feeling like, "Hey, not only we're we're out of debt, we're, we're saving money in retirement. We're making significant jumps towards our long-term goals. Yes, we could have more, but all in all, we've got you know a couple of cars that run. We have our house, and we feel comfortable. And then what they found out is as they started making money, 180, 200,000 and more, people started to become marginally less happy. And once they hit four or 500,000, the happiness actually went down. Now, this again, this is a broad uh, brush that I'm using, 
But the thought there was the more money or the more stuff that people have, the more they become a slave to their stuff. And then they have to take care of the stuff. So like if they got a bigger house, then they have a bigger yard and then they have more furniture and they have more landscaping. And and they have to make more money, which means they have to work more hours and harder. So they got all this stuff for their family, but they never see them. Well, that's exactly exactly right. And then they have, you know, two landscapers, you know, working on the house and then they then they start then they have other workers and they start feeling like, gosh, I feel like people are taking advantage of me. And it becomes this whole kind of this this rabbit hole that they go down. Mm -hmm. And so just something to think for this. I mean, what can we take from this? I would just say quit that flawed way of thinking. And we've all done it. I've done it myself. If I can just get to X amount of income or get that bigger house, then I'll be happy because that will never uh, it never ends. Quit chasing the carrot. Jessica, do you agree with that? I would totally agree with that. And I've done it myself, too. We all have. I bet yeah. you see that a lot in the design world as well. I know we're going to talk about that in the last segment, but in regards to when people are, are trying to create their home or create their environment. Com- uh, comparing to other people. Abso- absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and you know, I talk to my clients about that, and I give them recommendations when I feel like, they are overspending, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, I'll say I don't. I don't think we. You need that. I don't think we need to add that. So, yeah. that's a very good point, Siobhan. Well, and I spent uh, I spent time in India and learned so much. Met with this uh, this tour guide, and he laughed at us, as us being Americans, saying, "You know, you guys get so upset if your BMW gets, you know, a." Um, a nail in the tire and it ruins your day we're just happy at the end of the day to be able to lay with our family on the floor get a good night's sleep and everybody got a little bit of food in their belly wow. puts it in perspective it really, wow. does. it really does well you've been listening to retire while you work on news radio 1510 wlac i'm your host david adams and when we come back from break we're going to answer a few of your questions that we received throughout the week and you can submit your questions to us at retirewhileyouwork.com back in a couple minutes Hello and welcome back to Retire While You Work. I'm your host, David Adams, on News Radio 1510 WLAC. And before the break, we had a little bit of fun with some financial trivia, just and we're discussing the why of the radio show. And now this is our segment where we answer your questions that we receive throughout the week. We get several from our website at retirewhileyouwork.com and also in actual client meetings. And so these are uh, hopefully the goal of this segment is to really provide answers to these questions that truly add value coming from that retire while you work mindset and not from some cookie cutter financial planning textbook perspective. And we want to hear what's on your minds. And again, you can submit your questions to retirewhileyouwork.com. Siobhan, do we have any questions this week? We certainly do. And this first one, I'm really interested to hear what your answers are. We had a client come in this past week, and there are 34 years difference in their ages. He's 67, and she's 33. I think and they, I remember this meeting. Yes. Yep. Wow. And they have, <laughs> yes. Sorry, I had to throw that in there. <laughs> Jimmy's impressed. Okay. Yes. That's not the question. <laughs> and they have a one-year-old. Okay, wow. Um, Jimmy, wow, right? One-year-old. Wow. <laughs> yes. And um, he, ob- he has um, a family from before as well, so he has children. It's a blended family in this situation. And there's several things going on in their financial world. How do they plan for his long-term care? Because he's obviously going to need that well in advance from before she does. Um, and if he passes away before her, um, making sure that the child is taken care of, she's taken care of financially. Um, currently, they both still work. Uh, he's still working, and they both still have great income. Okay. But kind of how does a plan look when there's 
30 plus years difference in their ages. I don't know. Next question. <laughs> Good no. answer. Yeah. No, I do. I, I remember this meeting, Siobhan. It was a lot of fun. And um, he was a very funny guy. I think he was. His, I think what was interesting is his so his grandsons, so he had children, and then his, his grandsons are actually five years older than his now son. Correct. Which means, Jessica, you're going to be better at this family tree stuff, that the uncle is older than the nephew, right? Right. Yeah. No, wouldn't the uncle be younger than the nephew? Uncle is younger than the nephew. Right. Yeah. right. No, no, is, yeah. Yeah. Siobhan's right. So yeah. I, you got to love the modern family these days. Yes. My brain hurts. <laughs> that's, 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 why, that's why I looked at them to help. Um, yes, modern family these days. Very interesting. Okay, so this is... Um, again, this is becoming more and more common and why financial planning and what we do is so important. Let's start with the first part of that question, Siobhan, which I believe was about long-term care. Yes. So let's say he gets to a point where he needs a nursing home or needs some help at home and she's you know, 34 years younger. Which is not a fun topic, but one that has to be addressed. Absolutely. We get this question all the time. Nobody likes talking about it. Now, I'll say this. We are life insurance licensed and long-term care licensed, um, but this area and healthcare in general it changes all the time, and it's really a moving target. And I remember, gosh, 10 years ago, Siobhan, we could get a long-term care policy for a client, kind of the what we call the Honda Accord policy, Just not, your basic the, plan. not the Cadillac policy, for about $3,000 a year for the husband and the wife. And now that's probably, what, seven, ten thousand, yes, something like that? Yes, yes. Yeah. The prices are greatly increased over the last few years. And so that's the, the costs are going up quite a bit. So you really have to, you really need to do a full budget projection on returns in your portfolio to decide. The problem is that so many insurance salespeople out there will go around and tell everyone that they need this and they need the Cadillac policy. And I strongly disagree. I think you have to really look at it from a holistic perspective. When when we were Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider, I remember him saying around age 60 is when everyone should take a look at long-term care insurance. And I'll just, I would say this, it depends if you're healthy, um, because that, you know, that determines if you're going to get the best or the cheapest health rating. It can right. get really expensive very quick if you've had any type of conditions. Um, so I would, I would say around 50 to 55 years old, you should start having the conversation at least with your advisor, look at the cost, talk to, talk to us, talk to your advisor, see a certified financial planner on this one, not just an insurance person. It's very important. Um, no offense. This is just one of those topics that there's a lot of considerations. And I know this is something we can help with. Absolutely. We, I remember another client that came in talking about the same thing and in their particular situation, we actually discussed not buying the insurance because they had enough other assets to cover. So each situation is completely different. Yeah, that was that was the same week. That was last week as well. Yes, it was. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. I mean, there's two different two different situations, but one one we talked about uh, long term care and one one we did. Now I'll say this: the other part of your question, Siobhan, was about taking care of their one year old. Yes. If something happens to him, so we need to obviously through this planning, we need to, uh, to address things like college funding, and we would typically advise just hearing their situation without getting into too much detail, uh, front-loading and contributing to a 529 plan really early on to get a meaningful chunk already saved. So child's one years old, we put in you know $25,000 now, let it grow and compound for 18 years versus putting in you know 100 bucks a month or something, which would be fine, but this would be an opportunity. To really get that ball rolling. Right. And if something happens to him, she's already got a, a nice chunk taken care of growing. And so there's not that extra stress point of, what do we do about college? Right. Um, 
And then another thing we'd have, I'd want to ask this client is, you know, do they have life insurance? So that'd be great. But if not, it's probably too expensive now at age 67. Maybe not, but that's okay. But for her, if something was to happen to her since she's so much younger, having the husband who's 67 taking care of a one-year-old, life insurance for her may possibly make sense. So that's the other side. So yeah, we're we're talking something happened to him, but if something happens to her, we could probably get a life insurance policy very inexpensive on her. And then now at 67, if he's still working, he would more than likely certainly want help with the one-year-old. Absolutely. And that life insurance would provide that. So that's a good point, Siobhan. Um, now, what I would want to do here to do it justice is I'd want to run some projections and do what I call a fire drill. We actually did a whole show on this recently. We did, a few weeks ago. And that's where we pretend, it sounds a little morbid, but it's very important, that he's no longer with us and he's passed away. Um, and what does her life look like now that she is working, she has a child at home, she has to... Uh, take care of childcare, paying all the bills alone, and save for her retirement because she's only 33. So let's run some scenarios and decide what does that look like and what are the gaps that we need to fill, and then we can kind of back our way into it. So considerations we're going to do or we're going to talk about, and we did talk about in this meeting, does she move? Does she end up staying in the same house? Is she going to downsize if something happened? Maybe All things not. to be considered. Is she able to keep going, um, to keep moving ahead um, as she was before as far as her job? Is she going to um, you know, look to do something different. Um, but again, this is this needs to be done from the perspective of planning and not from somebody coming in selling a product because you can be sold expensive long-term care, life insurance, a lot of stuff without really looking at this fire drill concept, which is let's look at your situation and what this actually looks like and uh, fill in the gaps. Yes. Now, he also, he better have an estate plan um, and if you heard the earlier questions or on um, previous shows, you know how important this is. This is, in fact, I would say the number one thing is I would take them to an estate planning attorney, make sure they especially have especially with this blended family. Absolutely, have a good will, have trust, have power of attorneys for healthcare and for financial decisions. So there's a lot of meat to this question, but I think this represents a lot of the the modern families we're seeing today and something that's very relevant. So great question. If you're just now tuning in, you're listening to Retire While You Work on News Radio 1510 W. LAC, and we're answering your questions throughout the week. Please submit yours. We'd love to hear from you to retirewhileyouwork.com and click the Contact Us button, and we will answer it next week. Now, Siobhan, do we have any more questions? We do. This one's a really great one. Uh, this is one that came through email from a, uh, a listener. The, the question is, I have no retirement. Where do I even begin? I just feel like I'm never going to be able to retire, and maybe that's okay, or how do it? How do I do it? I I, I just have nothing. Yeah, so I sense, um, well, this is a great question, and this is a very common qu- question, and I sense a lot of, you know, maybe guilt and shame in this question. And yes. the first thing I'd say is, you're not alone. I mean, the average, and I'm, I don't remember the exact stat, but it's somewhere around here, the average 60-year-old in this country, as far as retirement goes, Jessica, I'm going to look at you. How much do you think the average 60-year-old has in retirement? So not their house, just... Huh. The average 60-year-old, $20,000. That's not a bad Ooh, guess. It's sixty. Not... It's 60000 but that's strikingly low, right? Compared right. Compared to what we would think. Right. Right. Yes. And that's not enough. Jessica's an interior designer. That's not enough to do to probably do a big interior design makeover to your house. Uh, no, depending on what you would, <laughs> depending on what on what you would like to do, so imagine it may not be. That's all you had in retirement, and that is average. Now, now, not that average is where you want to be, but certainly don't beat yourself up about this. Life is hard for all of us. There are many things that come up. It's about balance and really being a good steward of your money. 
So let's look at let's let's try an example. So let's say you're 58, you have no retirement, and you make eighty thousand dollars a year, and you save twenty to twenty five percent of your income into your 401k and IRAs. Maybe that's a place, that's a goal you could look to accomplish. So you don't have anything saved up now, but challenge yourself if you're 58 to, to save 20% or so and not worry about if you're going to get to a million dollars, but just start now. And for example, if you were quite a bit younger, let's say in your early 30s, maybe you push yourself and try to save around 15%. That's a that's kind of a, a range that I like to look at and not worry about getting to some big number like a million dollars because honestly, that just overwhelms a lot of people and actually could demotivate you into doing nothing. And this happens all the time where somebody looks at their situation like I'm hearing in the tone of this um, from this listener's question that, well, I haven't got started, it's probably too late, and it's absolutely not. Sometimes just doing something small, just getting started, can right. start the snowball effect. Absolutely, and, and and you'll feel better just doing it, and you're, you're doing the best you can. So start today, call us, um, 615-435-3644. We'd be happy to help. But again, don't shame yourself. Remember, you could have $5 million and end up passing away and being miserable. And I'd hope that you know, maybe you've had, if, if you haven't saved for retirement, maybe you've had some great life experiences and trips with family, uh, and that's why you haven't been saving, and maybe that's a good thing. But the last thing I want to see you or any of us do is to not save and not spend the money on the true experiences that matter and the memories. You're listening to Retire While You Work. I'm David Adams on News Radio 1510 WLAC. And when we come back, we have our special guest, Jessica Davis, an interior designer here in Nashville, to talk about ways you can save money on your home. Hello and welcome back to Retire While You Work. I'm your host, David Adams, on News Radio 1510 WLAC. And before the break, we were taking some of your questions that we received throughout the week. So please go to retirewhileyouwork.com. We'd love to hear from you. Send us your question and we'll do our best to answer it next week. Now, every week in our last segment, we like to discuss something that we hope can better help you get into that Retire While You Work mindset. And today we have a special guest, Jessica Davis, who is the owner and principal designer of JL Design here in Nashville. Jessica, hello. Hi, David. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. Now, can you tell us, because I get this, well, I'm sure you get this question all the time, the difference between, don't take offense to this, an interior decorator <laughs> and interior designer. Now, you're an interior designer. Yes, okay. and there is a difference. And thank you so much for asking me this question. So I'm not the first one. Well, you're the first one to actually ask, so I don't get asked that question a lot. I think more often I just get referred to as an interior decorator. And all the interior designer designers out there right now listening know how much that stings. Um, <laughs> a little That's bit. Not what a, you guys do. A little bit. So 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 let me just uh, clarify it um, f- for our listeners here because it is there is an important difference depending upon what you are looking um, uh, to hire a designer or a decorator for. Um, first of all, there's lots of fantastic decorators out there. Um, More often, they are now called stylists. Um, I work with several stylists. I bring them in on um, a lot of projects that we do at JL Design. Um, And then as interior designers, we also do styling. Um, Here's the big takeaway. To call yourself an interior designer legally, you have to be recognized by the American Society of Interior Designers, which is ASID, or um, NCIDQ, or both. Um, So, And to do that, you have to have a degree in interior design. You have to have... um, 
education in space planning, architecture, things like that. Um, so we are we do space planning. We work hand in hand with architects. We are basically the go between for architects and builders. So we have knowledge in the build process, specifications, things like that. So it's a lot more than than decorating. Now, if all you need is decorating, by all means, you can hire an interior designer or you can hire an interior decorator. But there is a, a, a big difference. So you're an interior decorator. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> No, that, Jessica, that's that's helpful. Um, I know it's the same thing in our business. There's a difference between you know us being a certified financial planner and somebody that calls himself a financial advisor, which um, you can do you know without getting the same credentials. So, exactly. So very similar. So thanks for explaining that. Now, tell us because when I think about you know this show and retire while you work and ways that we can you know whether it's in our personal space or enjoy work or travel, things that we can do to really get our minds to, to have that mindset shift. How can your space affect your mindset? It, that that's such a great question. So, um, you know, believe it or not, it can be as simple as honestly, it, it doesn't matter if you live in a four hundred square foot studio apartment or if you live in a ten thousand you know square foot estate home. It, it is so important to surround yourself, live your life have your family in a space that you feel comfortable and that is healthy. And you would be amazed to know the effects of color and lighting alone. So I think the two biggest things that people can do to enhance their life, to enhance their health and happiness, believe it or not, is to address um, color in their home and lighting in their home. Those two simple changes can make a world of difference in their space. Yeah, I mean, because to your point, many people can't afford a beach house or even the home of their dreams, but their space really matters. And I'm sure for a budget, you can make a huge difference. I know mean, a lot of people um, will hear, you know, to get an interior decorator, mm-hmm. it's, you know, that's going to be really expensive. We can't afford that. But um, I'm sure there's ways that you help people save money in the process of building, let's say, building a home um, by being there and helping choose materials and selections. So, so certainly, and you're absolutely right. So interior design and interior decorating are really looked at as um, luxury professions. Really, the truth is interior decorating is really more of the luxury profession. When you get into high-end building or um, any type of um, corporate building and things like that, uh, an interior designer is an absolute necessity to the build process. And so you would find, if, if, if you were to do some research, that by hiring an interior designer, if you had decided to build, remodel, model, add an addition, anything like that, designers will actually save you on average 10 to 20 percent of your overall build cost. How is that? That's amazing. Lots of ways. So so because we are trained not only in space planning to work hand in hand with the architect, what we do in 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 the build process, Siobhan, is we we look at the architect's plans, we get with the architect and enhance those plans in certain areas to make sure that the um, the build is precise. So that we're not getting stuck in situations, and if any of your listeners have ever experienced a remodel or new construction, there's always surprises. Our job is to cut back on those surprises, to cut back on what we call change orders in the industry. Well, and I'm sure, like, you know, when you have a builder and you have an architect, there's going to be a lot of differing opinions, and everybody isn't going to be necessarily looking at how is this going to save the client the most amount of money. They're going to be looking at efficiency and their time and... Um, their profit margins and all that, and then architects may want to spend one hundred and fifty thousand dollars on windows instead of twenty thousand. Exactly, and it's so funny that you mentioned that because um, you know quite often I'm hired by an investor or a builder on a construction project, and and a big part of my job is to keep the build 
process on budget. And an architect will have a beautiful design that I need to honor the integrity of and that, uh, you know, the architect, uh, he or she knows that I'm going to honor the integrity of that design. But that architect may have a finish or a material specified that, quite frankly, just doesn't fit in my client's budget. And I'm the one in the meeting who has to say, hey, rather than do this, let's do that because we're going to save here and we're not going to see return there. Wow. That makes sense. Would you say that then that along those lines, when somebody's building a house, that um, having someone like you could actually increase the fair market value of their home? Oh, absolutely, without without a shadow of a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt. And And when I start working with clients, whether it be Quite frankly, even if it's just styling that consists of, say, let's add some wall coverings, let's change out a few um, faucets or a few light fixtures, and not really major construction. Regardless of what the project really entails, shy of something that is furniture only, I always ask, how long do you plan to live here? How long have you lived here? And if it's their forever home versus a home that they may be selling in five years, that greatly affects the the budget that I might recommend to them because I, I, I sometimes help them work through a budget if they're not sure what the proper amount to allocate for certain areas is. And I also um, keep in mind the return on investment and what is going to still um, be in style, what's going to be classic, what's still going to be appealing to a market in five years so that they're not having to redo these things should they decide to go sell. So they may have a a $500,000 house that they're thinking about selling and you could come in and you know, say, you know, if you were to put $30,000 into your kitchen and pay you your design fee and have, let's say, I don't know, $40,000 in the project, you can look at it and say, this will give you $75,000 more. Uh, at, at least, yes. Often it can, often that number might jive out to $150,000 more, the way that you just wow. broke it down. Mm-hmm. You hear That's people amazing. T- you hear people talk about, you know, you know, things like curb appeal. If you go and you could put ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars in landscaping, and that perception when somebody pulls up to the house is very valuable, mm-hmm. and, and even more so inside. And so I think a lot of people, you know, if they're trying to sell a house, the last thing they want to do is put a bunch of money into a home they're about to sell. Now you were doing something like this on your home recently. I know doing some mm-hmm. upgrades, considering potentially selling. Yes, and and. As you know, David, what sells a home is kitchens and baths. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what it's all about. So if you're going to sell your home or you're considering selling your home in the near future, that's where you want to put your dollars. That's where you're going to see return. And if you're working with a professional, that professional can help you make the best decisions on where and how that money should be spent so that you're not you know, spending a whole lot on cabinets and maybe not enough on plumbing and appliances sure. and things like okay, that. Okay, where does man cave fit in this scenario? <laughs> <laughs> I heard you say kitchens and baths, but I think you're missing one. That, that probably doesn't increase increase the value near it. It does not. No, <laughs> it, do, it does not. Not but, a true man cave. Jimmy, a theater does. But Jimmy, retire while you work. The whole is to be happy in the now. And that's that right. Makes you happy in the Absolutely. now. Absolutely. And you're going to live your there. Forever home. If that's your forever home, yeah, we'll, we will man cave it up. But don't don't man cave it up right before you sell it. If no. Okay. No. Well, which brings me to another kind of along these lines. I feel like so many people live in their house the way it is, and they're like, I wish we had a nicer kitchen or a nicer bath. And they go 10 years and they don't enjoy any of that, and then they decide it's time to sell. Then they're going to spend that money. You know, I know styles change and, and, and things change, but wouldn't it make more sense for people to go ahead and look at doing some of those things while they're living in the home so that they can enjoy it? So, yes, yes. So that, that's kind of, I kind of have a two-part answer to that because I've run across, you know, a lot of people who, well, in fact, my grandmother is a prime example. My, 
my my grandmother has lived in her house for a long time, and at this point, I just wish she would at least let me paint the cabinet so she could be happy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so, yes, to your point, they should do what they can to enjoy their space while they're in it. Absolutely. Uh, Jessica, any last thoughts of advice that you leave us with? You know, um, really just enjoy your space, create a space that you um, love to live your life in and focus on lighting and color. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming. Jessica, how can our listeners and how can we reach you? 615-321-1888. Jessica Davis, everyone, thank you so much. We'll have to have you back on a future show. And thanks for tuning in with us today. As always, you've been listening to Retire While You Work on News Radio 1510 WLAC. If you want to reach us during the week, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call, 615-435-3644, or visit retirewayyouwork.com and submit your question, or come by and see us in the 12th South neighborhood at our office. We'd love to see you. I'm David Adams. Remember, life is short, and there are many more important things to worry about than money, and certainly hope that this show helps. Thank you so much.